as I was saying, always like uh, the opportunity to try to answer your guys' questions you might have, knowing that you know we typically go through books of the Bible. We might not hit topics that you guys have, so I'll do my best tonight to answer these questions according to what the Word says, because that we want to live our lives in obedience to what God's Word says. God's Word is a, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and instructs us as to what God desires, how we are, why we need Him. And I'm a firm believer that Second or Second Timothy three sixteen seventeen is true, and that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And it's sufficient uh, to help us to answer the types of questions that we would have about life. It might not deal with everything specifically, but it it gives us direction. Um, generally on everything. There's not there's nothing that we can think of that the Bible doesn't speak to in some way or another. So we'll pray and then we'll get to these questions and then um if there's more if you need more clarity, feel free to raise your hand or if you have a question based off of the answers to the question, we can get a discussion going. That's totally fine, okay? But let's pray and then we will start it up. Yahweh, to be all glory. You are a fountain of wisdom and knowledge. And we know that apart from you, we can't understand anything truly and rightly. It is you who give eyes to see and ears that hear. And we pray that you would, Holy Spirit, give us understanding tonight. That you would even help us to, to think about the way that we live. And that you would conform us to Christ in the choices that we make so that we might live our lives for your glory. Help us to think right thoughts about you. Lord, we don't want to have wrong thoughts about you. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so guide us into all truth and protect us from error and help us to grow and to be dependent upon you now and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So... No particular order to any of these. Take them out. Oh, this one says Hank on it. So I guess he doesn't know. He doesn't mind. He's not here tonight, unfortunately. But we'll have to remember to tell him about this. But says, this doesn't really matter. But do you think Jesus ever wrote a part of the Bible? What well, does matter, I think. Um the answer is yes and no. Uh, for, for one, I think we know who wrote the Bible. Just about every book, there's a, there's a couple exceptions to this, say who it's from. And like obviously the letter to the Hebrews doesn't say. But what I was just even thinking of, even in the prayer, uh, you know, what the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. And so Jesus is God. And so in a very real sense, it's appropriate to say that Jesus wrote the whole Bible. That's not a. It's not a error. Um, the way that we understand how we got the scripture, that the fancy technical doctrinal term is plenary verbal inspiration. So the Holy Spirit, God, used the different authors through their own personalities and idiosyncrasies. Um, what else? Idiosyncrasies uh, through their own individual personhood to write the specific words of scripture and so it's not 
none of it comes from the the person, the earthly person, the the, the wisdom, the coherency of it. It all comes from the spirit, um, acting upon the acting upon the individual writers in time. And so, you know, sometimes you have those Bibles that in the New Testament they'll have words of Jesus in red. Uh, I never really liked those because. In a sense, like it, it teaches you subconsciously to, oh, to, to put different weight on different verses. That, oh, these ones are in red. They're from Jesus. Therefore, they must be more special or they're better. Holds more authority. Ah, sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Um, then they, uh, and then even some people might say that, oh, well, these are the words of Jesus in red. Well, then I don't have to pay attention to those because, you know, I listen, I follow the teachings of the Apostle Paul. And they're different. There's like a form of dispensationalism, that a hermeneutic a way of looking at the Bible that thinks that. And so those would both be errors. Um, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. Second uh, Peter one, I think I could find this really quick, is where we. Maybe it's not Second Peter one. No, that's not what I was thinking of. Um, There's a, a passage, I believe it's in Peter, that's 116 that you were just mentioning, Clint. Here it is, 120, uh, knowing, Second Peter 120, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So how do we get these words? Men wrote it down as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, you think of 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 as well. So, Henry, if you ever listen to this, the answer is yes and, and no, right? The specific human authors, Jesus, as he was truly a human being, Truly man, truly God. He never wrote any of the books himself in, in that sense and then passed them on. But all the words were given to people through the Spirit, who is God. They're God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit act inseparably always. Anything else on that? Okay. Why did God make the universe so big? We've to my knowledge, the Bible doesn't say specifically an answer to that question, but if you think about it, the answer that I think that makes most sense to me is that it gives glory to God, right? If he Remember when he's with Abraham and he tells them, like, you're gonna, your descendants will be like the sand on the beach or the stars in the sky, and he couldn't count them, right, because it was so massive. Or the psalmist wrote, the heavens declare your... Praise or just hear your glory. So maybe that is really an answer there. Why is the universe so big? big <laughs> That's a good observation. Huh? Is the universe big to God? Well, is it right to say, is it right to talk about God in spatial terms? It's not even really right to talk about God because God is spirit. He's not a man. He doesn't have space to him. So amazing. So as amazing as, at least from our perspective, as amazingly, the universe. As amazingly big as it is, God is ever present in it at every area of it all the time. And I think, like you said, if we knew exactly how big it is, I don't think we really 
Don't scientists say it's growing? Yeah. Yeah, but how big does it ever end? Is it? Because uh, like, how do you how do you end? It's like if you hit a wall, then what's on the outside of that wall? Something outside of this universe. Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe some heavenly abode. I don't know. I think so. We're limited, obviously, by the fact that we're humans and we can't know everything and we know so much more now than we did even like 50 years ago but scientists now think that the universe is ever expanding i don't they can't prove that because they can't get to the ends of the universe so who knows but interesting question good question moving on (laughs) okay pretty much all of Revelation 11, 4 to 14 is my question. <laughs> so let's open up our Bibles. I think that's the passage in Revelation that deals with the, the witnesses. Chapter 11. Pretty much all of Revelation 11, 4, 14 is question. So first off, before I even read this, let's, I mean, let's read it to see. What it says, there's no way that I'm going to be able to ex- try to explain Revelation 11, 4 to 14 in a few minutes, right? Because that would be like a whole sermon or probably maybe a couple sermons even. But let's read it and then we will see what it says. Okay, the word of the Lord. These are two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they, had a lo- and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is coming soon. All right, that's that's the text. So, again, I'm not going to be able to like detail every single part of that because of the length of it and also just the complexity. I think so. Pretty much all of Revelation 11, 4 to 14 is my question. <laughs> so, so yeah, that is, to be fair, I mean, that's a good question. I have a Bible. The Revelation is, is not exactly easy to understand. Uh, to understand Revelation... You need to understand a lot about the Old Testament first because it quotes the Old Testament extensively. Um, it, it's it's 
filling these, it's, it's calling us back to ways that God dealt with his people in the past and, it, and explaining that this is how he's dealing with us here in this present age that we live in. And that's another thing. So what you believe about this passage really depends upon what you, how you interpret the Bible. And so, you know, depending on how you do that, people would have different explanations for this passage. But one thing to remember as well is that Revelation is what we call apocalyptic literature. And so that's not something that you would just read so rigidly and and then think everything is literally that. If you did that, then you would be having some really almost meaningless um, ideas about what this is saying. And so as a way of a quick explanation, um, the passage is talking about these two witnesses and what's going to happen in this time period and they're they're going to be they're going to be prophesying and then they die and then the the beast is, this is talked about throughout revelation as well he comes but then they come back to life and they have a time of uh, victory once again and they're caught up into heaven and so some most people there's actually a lot of different people that are given as example for who these two witnesses are who the um olive trees and lamp stands uh, I would hold to the view that says that they are the the church. It's it's the witness of the church, the the word of God through the testimony of the church. Other people have said it's like Moses and Elijah uh, re come back down to earth for time, but again, it just depends on how you interpret the book of Revelation. But anyways, what I overall a simple ish trying to explain of this is that this is speaking about the ministry that the church has in the world and if you really you back it up um to the the verses right before this the john is told to measure the temple of god but not to measure the court outside remember the temple the temple had like an out a gentile court where they weren't allowed to come in um and so he's not to measure that but these witnesses didn't go outside this this court and and they are so and which is what we're doing with the gospel goes out but is the gospel always received by people no it's not right and so it has the church at sometimes been crushed but not defeated yes and look what happens to these two witnesses they they're it says killed they're left there on the street then they come back to life they still continue on and they still continue doing um what they were doing before and then also too they have like judgment with them right it talks about fire um coming out of their mouths to do harm well again you were looking at apocalyptic literature here it's speaking about the sort of judgment that would come from people denying the gospel um denying the good news rejecting the hope that god offers to them in there so it's It's a difficult passage. The whole book of Revelation is like that. It's difficult. I really have I've thought about wanting to preach through it um, because there's always so much to talk about in it. But it's a, it's definitely – there's a couple things that you would really have to be more firm in, rooted in before you even got to trying to look at the specific events. One of the things would be that Revelation – so it talks about this is a woe, right? It's at the very end. This second one was past. Behold, the third woe is, is about to come soon. And so woes are always these judgments, right? And then right after this in verse 15, the angel blows his trumpet. So there's like these seven trumpet woes and judgments, bowl judgments. And 
with incense and scrolls and there what they are doing is something called recapitulation which is they're telling the same story from a different angle each of them and so there's a lot of similarities there's a lot of uh, emphasis on different numbers you saw one of the things that we read in here right was that there was for three and a half years or three and a half days some of the people and tribes so there's a theme of this three and a half days three and a half is half of seven, right? Seven is this complete number. So there's a lot of things to kind of even understand before you come into this that would make more sense of it, but we don't have time to get into all of that right now. But think of the main thing as far as this question goes. It's the ministry of the church in the world during the time period between Jesus' first and second coming. That's what these witnesses are doing. And do we always have, you know, clear victory? No. But the church is not going to fail against uh, at all because the church is God's plan. Okay. Any other questions? Is that okay? Good question. Let's um, be thinking about the book of Revelation. It's important to know. Go ahead. What were you saying? Symbolically, NASB says mystically. Yeah, the ESV says symbolically, although there's a little number by it, Greek is spiritually. Which, and then it talks about where their Lord was crucified, right? And so we think of crucifixion, we probably normally think of Christ, right? But so who's who's the Lord of people who rebel against the truth of God? It, it's kind of like their sin, right? Sin, but the evil yeah. one... For sure, yeah. So, again, calling this back to the Old Testament, right? How, what do you know about Sodom and Egypt? Well, you have to know Israel's history, right? Um, is there anything God can't do? Is this a new question? Because this was the question that we had in our small groups tonight. <laughs> um, there are some things that God can't do. It would probably be a good sermon series, actually. Things God can't do. God can't lie. God can't change his mind. God can't... Why don't you just say the answer is yes. Yes, there are things that God can't do. Uh, God does what he pleases, right? So God can't do something that wouldn't please him. And so Ephesians 1.11 says all things work according to the counsel of God's will. So in some sense, everything that happens pleases God. Not that um, God is then endorsing people to sin, yet nevertheless in our sin that we freely choose to do, which comes by God's eternal decree, God is pleased as it is a means to bring him glory and to help um, his end goal of redemption come about to pass. So God, there are things God can't do. Can't lie, can't change his mind. There's some other things I was thinking of earlier that I'm blanking on now. God can't learn anything, right? God knows all things. God can't be overcome. Yeah, God, who would God worship? Right? Okay, good question, Clint. <laughs> is, it is it necessary to share the law and tell people they are sinners when you share the gospel? Yes. <laughs> That's right. It, it is true. Let's, let's go to Galatians 3 if you have your Bible. It's a good question, really, because you'll have people 
who say that you don't need to do that. Yeah, some people want to believe that you can just tell people that Jesus loves them and tell them to to of the story. Yeah, they don't want to know all that other stuff, right? Um, but that's not the the gospel. The gospel is the good news that we can be forgiven of our sin, that we can be reconciled to God. And so to, to just tell people that that Jesus has went to that Jesus uh, loves them and has a a good plan for their life or something like that is to really leave out what makes it good news because you're not they well, don't. See, I don't get that. Yeah, that's why I never understood about like Dulce and stuff. Like, why uh-huh. do people continue to come back to you because you're not being saved from anything if you're not bad? They're, so, like, what does he, what does God do for them besides? They're just they're just de- they're deceived. I just don't get it. Like, right. what are you thinking? Like, what is their thought process? Well, that's the second Peter pastor, right? Where people they have itching ears, and so they raise up teachers that'll tell them what they want to hear. People want to hear that. They don't have to you know, deny themselves to be to be a Christian. You died to yourself, right? You're you're crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We take up our cross daily. Um, so Galatians three twenty four, well twenty three says now before faith came. So in other words, saving faith, right? Uh, everybody everybody might have faith. Like I mean. Trust, confidence in certain things, but saving faith is what he's talking about here. Not everybody has saving faith in Christ. Not everybody truly trusts in Jesus for their salvation. So it says now, and, and faith comes to you. Like again, faith isn't something. Trust in Christ isn't something that you do of your own power and strength. It's something that is given to you, and then you exercise it. But as what it says here, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Some translations will say schoolmaster or a tutor. And so what the law does is the law, when it, especially when it precedes the gospel, is that it shows us why we need to be saved. It, it tell, it, the law, what it should do is it should make you desperate. It should make you fearful because the wrath of God abides upon all who are in their sin and you can't fix the problem yourself. And so the good news of reconciliation through trust and faith in Christ only makes sense in light of the fact that you need to be saved. And so people leave that part out and they just tell you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Just, you know, come to church, meet all these nice people, sing, and you know, check it off your list, and then you go back to your life Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. Um, there, it's not the whole gospel. It's not the gospel even at all. It's not good news. The bad news is what makes the gospel good news. So you you must sh- like they share say, the like law. For, you can't have, you can't enjoy the successes without the failures. Is that like some sports slogan or something? <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Ray Comfort's model. Um, have you ever seen, you know who Ray Comfort is? He has a, a, a YouTube, look up the way of the master. And he we've shown some of his videos here before. But his method of evangelism is really basic. Um, you know, it's, have you ever stolen anything? 
Well, most people will say, yeah, I've taken a pencil. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, I've told a lie. Well, the, the law of God says you shall not lie. No. No, he's not aggressive. A liar, sir. A liar. I mean, yeah. He gets them to admit themselves that they are sinners and that, they, that they've done what God calls a sin. And then at that, you you give the gospel. Because then it's, it's, then it's good how news. Calm he is when he talks to people. Just how does it a lot, you know? Yeah. yeah. He gets the people a little hostile to him. But. Oh, you're thinking of Psy, Brenegade, or whatever. That was. Yeah, he, uh, I don't have enough. No, that it was by, no, it's not by what standard. No, but I forget the name of that specific film we watched. But it hit, I know you're talking about, because we talked about how maybe his method was a little, he kept saying, like, well, according to what standard, when he was on that radio show with the atheist. Um, his name is Cybergate. I can't believe I'm forgetting about his name. Um, this is the joke one, huh? Funny. This is the this is the the joke about the chicken. So it's funny. No. All right. Why did the chicken fall asleep? Because your prayer was so long. <laughs> long prayers. Uh. I know. All right. If next question, that wasn't even a question. If sin is subjective, Romans fourteen fourteen, then how is being LG LGBT a sin? So first off, let's go to Romans fourteen. Yeah. Because my, you know, what subjective means. Subjective means that it's not true. So yeah, subjective means that that it. Exactly, that's a good saying. Open to your interpretation. So the contract contrast to objective, right? Something is either subjective or objective. Um, we all might. We, so the, that's a good example that Valerie just said. I, Silas writes an essay. Well, I think it's this gets a an A, Valerie thinks it gets a, a D, Clint thinks it gets a C. Well, Valerie would give the D. Well, we all know who's the mean one here. And so, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, but so it's subjective, right? Because it's based kind of on our opinion. But is sin subjective? So, because who determines what, what is sin? The Bible, God, right? God gave us the Bible. And so, so Romans 14, 14. Now, this is interesting. So this path, this section of Romans 14 lines up with what we were reading in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 8 as well, too, where this is about acts of worship and, you know, a weaker brother who's in, and that's the context of it. So even let's, let's look at verse 13, even that makes that point. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So there are people sometimes in the church where the action that you do could cause a person to fall into sin. And that's what was happening in Corinth, where there were people who were partaking of pagan worship, and they, they were like, well, we're free in Christ, doesn't matter. But then some people who came out of it were like, oh, well, that's, am I supposed to do that or what? 
Then uh, verse 14, the verse in question, I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So again, context matters here. It, it, when you're reading the Bible, it is the easiest way to become a false teacher is to just take a verse out of its context. And whoever thought of this question, whoever was taught that sin is subjective based off of this verse, is making that error, making that mistake. Because, you again, you have to look at this in its context. Um, nothing is unclean in itself. So then are you free to lie? Is lying a clean thing to do? Is lying, Clean means holy. You know, that's, that's the idea here. It, can you just worship any other god? Is that unclean? Is that an, something that's unclean? No, right? Because sin actually does have an objective standard to it. The context of this thing being unclean is in the context of eating and drinking. And so if you keep continue to read verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one from whom Christ died. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and holiness. And again, this isn't just talking about normal eating and drinking. This isn't talking about like even the person who wants to have enjoy alcohol and another person doesn't so oh, i can't drink alcohol because this person it offends them that's not what this is talking about either this is specifically in the context of worship of something that has to do with honoring the lord because look back at verse 5 and 14 one person esteems one day as better than another while another seems all days alike each one should be fully convinced in his own mind the one who observes the day observes it on the lord the one who eats eats and honor the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains and honor the Lord and gives thanks to God. So again, this is talking about in the context of doing something that entails as worship. And in, in that case, the reality is there's nothing unclean. Like you, like even some meat that was offered to a false god, well, we know false gods don't exist. And so technically it's not like that meat has done anything. But if you were to eat that meat that was offered to a false god, which I know this really isn't problems for us today, right? Because we don't have that. I mean, you could go to some stores and you could see like some food that's like quote unquote halal, um, which means that it's been like blessed by uh, Muslims. Or there's for, for Jewish people, some food is kosher, right? It's been blessed by a rabbi. And so you could think that's like an equivalent can you eat that as a Christian? Or if you eat that as a Christian, are you violating God's law and, and worshiping this God who doesn't exist? Because even Jews who reject Jesus, they're not really saved. We went, we went through that in Ephesians a while ago. So the point is, as Christians, you are free. You're free in Christ. Um, there's no, you, we know that there's no such thing as an idol, as, a, as another God. We read that in First Corinthians 10. Uh, we'll get to it 14 to 22, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday. Um, and so the context of here is not just anything in general, but it's specific. Does that make sense? Sin is not subjective. Sin is objective. There's a standard, that a moral standard that God has set, and it's objective. Is that clear? Okay, yeah? Do you have a question?
Oh no, I bet you you did like this. It's okay. It's fine. Okay, moving on. Why is everyone gone today? You're not. Everyone is not gone. Popular. There's there's a few families on vacation. Welcome to summer. Does God have a wife? It's an interesting question. Yeah, it's no. The, the easy answer is no, but it's not a bad question really because I think we've been going through Judges and there's like, you know, we just talked about in Judges 16 that there's Dagon and then he has like a son for all. And so he's not the, um, so Dagon is like the chief God. And then there's Baal and Asherah. And if you think about like Zeus, he has wives. So if you think about that context, it's not really a bad question, but no, God does not have a wife because yeah, right. Not like even how pagans, people who don't worship the true God, even how they view those false you know, deities, idols, or demons. God, they don't. God doesn't have even a wife in that regard at all. But now, if you think about it, um, like how do, why do, to have a wife, is a very human thing. Like why do men have wives? Even. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. Because you know, in heaven we're not going to be, you know, right. Well, in heaven we're still going to have our human nature. We'll still have a body uh, eventually when Jesus comes back. But we're not going to have wives to procreate. Um, when God created man. He said that it's not good for man to be alone, so he made a helper fit for him. And so he put Adam to sleep, and from Adam he took a rib out and he formed Eve. And then when you get married, you become one flesh, right? And then from that point of one, you procreate. Uh, you, the dominion mandate, you fill the earth, uh, you have babies. That's why you know there's, there's only two genders today, and men and women are the only ones that are supposed to be married. But God doesn't need to do that. He spoke mankind into existence, and he set us up so that we would be able to you know, make babies the way that we do and see our people. But God's not marrying that. God is complete in himself. When we think of God having a son, maybe that's where the question comes from as well, because you know, Jesus is his son. He is eternally begotten. He's of the same subsistence as God. He's not... God the Son, Jesus, wasn't made from like a like Silas is made. Like you know, the Watson boys were made a son in that same regard. He is um relationally the girls were the father. Yeah, I know, but the son of God, you know. Yeah. They're not sons. They're not sons, right. Oh uh, yeah, obviously they were. Right. So God does not have a wife. He's not a man. So when you mentioned heaven, there's well as birthing, like you're not necessarily married still when you're in heaven. Yeah. But you still probably recognize that person. Oh. Well. I know nobody really knows. Well, yeah. I guess that's a question too for like people that You must know that you were married, I would think, because your knowledge is not decreased, I think, in glory. It's a really weird thing for me, even like I think, because it, I can't imagine not no, knowing Anna in a different way than I know her right now, for example. So, like, I just know that. But Jesus, when he did talk uh, about it, he mentioned that we'll be like the angels who are neither given or taken in marriage.
So. Like, uh, I don't know where our minds are being at, I guess. Maybe. I think our minds would be fully different, right? So I thought mm-hmm. of this because Clint um, had a flush on uh-huh. the Chicago last weekend. And at the end, when he gets to the Celestial City. Faithful and hopeful. Yeah, um, I, I think we will definitely know each other. That's part of that's the hope that we have, right? So when our loved one passes away, we know we're going to see them again even. Um, but according to that one passage in the gospel account, there's, yeah, we're not going to be given in marriage. But yeah, I, I don't understand how that exactly works. Because again, I can't think of Anna in some other way. And I wouldn't want to even, you know, but maybe that's just me right now in my flesh. If you think about what the what a marriage is when we have a wife, it's about reconcile it's about being reconciled. It's even the gospel so a marriage between a man and a woman is a picture even of the gospel. Um God talks about the nation of Israel as a adulterous woman, even, and how they betrayed him. And so if you think about so why would God need to be reconciled to anybody before God is, you know, before there was any sin even or anything like that. There's, that's what marriage is about. And so God himself doesn't have a wife. He's not a person. He's, or he is a person. He's not a, he doesn't have a body like men though. He's a spirit. Can you give us knowledge of the things that occurred here? I think so, yeah. I, like I think, remember, I think so. He says he'll wipe away every tear. Uh, I think, We'll have knowledge of good and uh, we I think still have knowledge of good and evil, but we won't be we will have no desire to act upon any evil. And because hell is eternal, right? And so there's still that will always be there. Yeah, those are really good questions, you guys. It's hard to you know we don't want to be dogmatic about them. Those are things that we don't know exactly for sure. I know. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh yeah. In Revelation 1.20, it says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Maybe we should do a series through Revelation next. That will, that, that, uh, it looks nicer, but it's in pencil. I don't know. So let's read. Let's look at Revelation 1. He wrote it. He or she wrote it down here. This is a guy's handwriting for sure. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Yeah, one. this is 120, not 17. I don't know why I said that. The whole verse says this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the verse actually tells you what it, what it is, right? Get back to the question. I just put it down. It says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Well, if you re- continue to read Revelation, uh, the first, the opening, 
chapters of it here. Uh, chapter two for chapter one is like a greeting and introduction. Um, chapter two and chapter three are these instructions to different churches, seven different churches that existed during the time of the Apostle John. Remember, this is John wrote Revelation towards the end of his life. He was in he was in prison there. He had been put in a vat of oil and like boiled, but he didn't die. And so then he was imprisoned at uh, in this island called Patmos, where God came to him and showed him stuff. And so he had God had specific messages for the churches. And so an angel. What is an angel? Well, you think it's either a, a heavenly type of a being, not a person, a human being like us, something different. But the word angel just simply means messenger. And so some, most, a lot of people, at least sometimes, um, that kind of narrows down our, our choice, right? So either that means that every church has an angel for it, and we're not really sure what that means, or the messenger of the church, which most likely a lot of people think is just the pastor. And so here's this, here is this, uh, this, he has this different instructions, these different messages to give to the church, and he sends them to the, you know, the elders of the church, the seven, the angels, the lampstands themselves are the churches. So it's, it's again, it's apocalyptic literature. It uses a lot of symbols, but angel just literally means messenger. That's what an angel is. And as root of its word. So again, a lot of people think, could be just the pastors of those churches, but it's these. This this the verse or the passage is getting at the idea that there is there is specific instruction for each of these different local churches, and there's different warnings and admonishments and different um, encouragements as well. It says different things about different churches. Just like today, you know, First Family Church is different than Golden Hills, and so there's different things that maybe God would say to us than they would say to Golden Hills if He was, you know, to do something like this. But we look at these different instructions of churches and we, you know, think about, you know, what are we doing? I have it too. Good question. Moving on. Okay, well, we'll entertain this question um, because, again, I think this is taught about deities in different um, religions, but it's can God have sex? And the answer is no. Um, God's not pleased to, right? God does all that he pleases. Uh, doesn't have a wife, right? Certainly for God, then God wouldn't do that with someone who's not his wife. That would be sin. Yeah. Um, but God, again, God doesn't have a, a body like that. Now, he, Jesus does, but Jesus was never married and so maybe the question was about that that jesus was sinless and he never got married and since the only way that you could not be in sin and have sex is to be in marriage then we know the answer to that as well um but again you know if you have like if you think of like the greek mythology and the roman mythology you have zeus would turn into a man and come down and have sex with a human then you make like a, demi, a demigod that's how you get hercules that's you know, not that's not what's true. Or Maui, <laughs> sure. That's not how Jesus was incarnated either, right? Jesus, though, if that's what happened, if that's how Jesus got flesh, because God came and had sex with women, then that Jesus, he would be born in sin, just like uh, 
every other man is because he would inherit sin still even from Eve. Eve, Eve, had, Eve has flesh. Even though sin comes through man, comes through Adam, um, Eve was made of Adam, so, so she's fallen. And so Jesus was placed inside of Eve. Not Eve, I'm sorry. Inside of Mary. So it's a miraculous birth. Hmm? Well, we might as well finish these. See, why are donkeys sometimes called jackasses? Uh, I know the answer to this. For I don't know why, but it's because of the the Latin uh, name, species, speciation of the name. It's like a asinus or something like that. So you know, how all animals have like Latin names and species wise, especially. It's from that. Great question. Can you repeat the last question? We couldn't hear. I think maybe I won't. Because of the girl. This is one I won't read. It's not a real one. I'm going to read, this is, so that's actually the last of the question, but I'll read this one just because of, this is another joke one, but just the skill of it. It says, why is the earth flat? And then it says, a dash from Caleb, but it's erased, so you can't really tell, so. I'm impressed. Those were, with the exception of the last three that I read, which were absolute wastes of our time, and we're all more dumb for having heard them and thought of them. Those were all really good questions. So I, I really was thinking about preaching through Revelation next, and there's two questions on that. Maybe we will do that. It's a pretty big challenge. Um, it would take a long time. Some of It might be done by the time Silas graduates high school. We'll see. Uh, but really good question, guys. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, do something else for our time tonight. Holy God, we are so grateful to you for your word. And we know, God, that it is not all easy to understand. Uh, we remember even that Peter wrote that some of the things that the Apostle Paul wrote about were hard for him to understand. So help us to not feel ashamed or unworthy or something like that just because we don't understand everything even peter didn't understand everything so lord we depend upon you to know the truth so help us to grow in our understanding thank you for the questions that that we're able to talk about tonight and we ask that you would help us to always be desiring to learn more about you and help us to think right thoughts after you that we might worship you rightly for you are worthy of all worship and glory and praise in christ's name we pray Amen.